0: Hello beautiful people, this is Rajiv and welcome back to Photo Country with Rajiv. This is episode number 46. Uh, for this episode, I interviewed Sasi Khan Sumo. He's a, a teacher, practitioner of analog photography in Oroville, Poticherry. I got to know him through another podcast guest that I interviewed before, Madhavan Parali Swami. And I found Sassi Khan feed through Madhavan's feed and it's interesting because his background in photography and the kind of photography he does, his insights into teaching analog photography and how digital and analog can coexist and what he thinks is the future for the analog type of photography holds is what we are going to discuss in this podcast chat. It's an interesting chat and yeah, I look forward to hearing from you guys as to what you think about this podcast in general and this episode specifically. So, without further ado, let's get into the conversation. Hey uh, hey, Sasi, thanks a lot for uh, coming on the podcast. We've been playing phone tag or email tag or Instagram tag, I don't know what to call it. Yes, yes. And yes. Uh, finally we are here. That's what the internet should not kick us out until the end of this conversation. So on that note, let's uh, start this chat.
1: Thank you you for inviting me. It's it's a pleasure to be on here. And it's a bit of a birthday gift being my birthday today. So thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Happy birthday,
1: Sassi. How old are you? How can I ask you that? (laughs) I'm not ashamed to say my age. I'm 57 today.
0: Awesome. Awesome! That's fifty-seven trips around the sun.
1: It's perfect. the one way of looking at the lost
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's just fifty-seven, right? So still more trips around the sun. It's still a blend. Yes. Awesome. So, absolute pleasure uh, talking to you. I, I'm so. I understand that you're in Pondicherry. That too in oroville Yeah. Uh, can you? Can we start by? Telling us a little bit about what you're doing at present at Auroville Pondicherry.
1: I grew up in Pondicherry. Photography has always been my interest, right, from when I was growing up. I um, actually went to school in Kuno. Kuno is a hill station not far from Pondicherry in Tamil Nadu. And when I was there, I used to have a lot of people visit. People from the plains would come, relatives and so on. So, one, one such time... One of my uncles was visiting, but in those days, not everybody had cameras and so on. So he was wondering whether he could find a camera to be able to photograph his his time there. And some of my grandmother dug into the cupboard and brought out a, believe it or not, a Kodak box brownie. She'd been carrying around for I don't know how long. So we took it to the camera shop and they managed to load a film. I was only about 10 years old. And so we went around and whatever photos we could with that camera. And then when we got back to the lab, they gave us a a contact sheet of the prints, not the original size, but uh, like a thumbnail contact sheet of of the photos we'd taken. And one look at that contact sheet, and I think I was hooked. You know, it was just absolutely magical, those uh, small stamp-sized photos. And ever since, I've always been obsessing with, with photography. And I was lucky that my dad was very a photo nut, so to speak. He photographed us uh, as little kids with this Roliplex. But unfortunately, by the time I grew up, we had gotten rid of the Roliplex uh, due to financial constraints and so on. So I didn't get to experience a Roliplex yet. But anyway, so he encouraged me to take up photography. And one of the first second-hand cameras he got me was a Mami or Secau or something like that with the wide-angle lens. So that was the only lens I had. So I went and photographed all my friends. And having a camera hanging around your neck, open doors... In those days, even if you had a camera, they would welcome you. They would, even if you're a total stranger, they would still welcome you and treat you like royalty. You get swaggy so bajji and coffee and everything. Yeah,
0: yeah you are so the,
1: the cool kid of the cool kid on the block. Exactly, exactly. I'd get invited to political meetings and NCC meetings and all that, and and treated. So, so, so then later on, I, when I finished school, I thought, okay, photography like, is such a great part of my life. I might as well. Do something more with it. So I tried to find places where I could study. In fact, at the end of the street, there used to be a star studios, a photographic studio where they, they did passport photos and family photos and portraits and all that. I used to go and hassle those guys. There were two brothers who were running it, and I used to hassle them to teach me, to show me, especially what happened in the dark room. was always a mystery what happened in the dark room. So they would take me in there and show me and then take me to a Local restaurant and buy me a dosa for breakfast and stuff like that. And unfortunately, even though the studio is still around, both the brothers have passed away for whatever reason. They were really nice tabs. So things kind of happened like that. And then when I was about 19, I had a opportunity to go to Australia to study. So I shifted to Australia and initially I studied engineering but didn't enjoy it very much. So I quit. I went to work. And while I was working, I was still trying to get into photography. And I first had to do a diploma to be able to strengthen my portfolio, which then allowed me to get into a degree. The degree was called Media Arts, and photography was my major. And I did film uh, cinema as, as an elect. This was at RMIT in Melbourne. And once I finished that, this was about the mid 90s. And once I finished that, I didn't know what to do with myself because I did fine art photography. It wasn't the commercial field, so I couldn't quite support myself with photography. So I thought, okay. I also had some interest in education, pedagogy, and so on. So then I thought, okay, let me become a teacher. And that's what I did. I qualified as a teacher. And I've been teaching art and photography and design and graphic design and so on ever since. And beyond about early 2000, I had an opportunity to come back to India um, for other reasons. And there was something within me that always wanted to come back. So, I jumped on that escape and came back. And when I came back here, I had some time, came to do some projects in Oregon, which is an international community just close to Pondicherry. And, and then I've been here ever since. This was 2007. So, i been here close to 15 years. And I started teaching in one of the Oregon schools. And there I did photography, art, and design. And my main interest has been analog photography. So, I always stuck to doing that. I mean, I go to digital also. Not that I have anything against it. I really enjoy the convenience of it. In a lot of areas, I think the digital is far more convenient. But uh, I I mainly teach analog. Also, I do also do I ad- workshops for adults, and so I have a lot of youngsters coming from Chennai, Bangalore, Kutchi, or somebody even from Delhi want to come to do analog workshop so that they can acquaint themselves with uh, the traditional form of photography. So that's basically a. Uh, my life in a nutshell from about uh, 1980s to, to now. Right.
0: So in terms of uh, your teaching in Auroville, do you teach only analog or do you teach both like uh, g- uh, general just conceptually photography?
1: The idea is to the, the curriculum I run is I take them to the history of photography and the evolution of the camera and uh, they start with stamp by doing a pinhole camera and then photograms and then Uh, They use the digital camera to learn the technicalities about using the aperture and the shutter speed and so on, because there they can see the results straight away and make the adjustments. And then they get introduced to the film camera also. And then depending on their interests, some of them want to continue using a film camera and some of them continue with uh, digital. And once in a while, they kind of jump from this bank to that bank, so to speak. And there are some kids who, I mean, social media is a huge influence on them. So... They see some photo somebody has posted using expired film, so then all of a sudden they want to experiment with expired film. So so it carries on like that. So there's no there's no hard and said rules up to them right. what they want to, and I'm there to facilitate in the robot. Yeah. And this is school students or Yes. This is high school from ninth grade to twelfth grade.
0: Okay, okay. So do you have students who have taken that up as professionally as well? Like how's the uh, results been?
1: I have one student who's actually studying in university at the moment. He's studying visual communication. I've had another student went on to do film studies. He was interested in filmmaking. So, And then there are other students who still have other jobs, but also do some photography. So like a hack, like a side sideboard, so things like that. But yeah. the chap who's studying visual communication, I think once he finishes, then he will be drawn into um, photography, I think. Yeah. But coming out of Waterville, it's very difficult for them. They they don't have many opportunities, you know, so they have to go overseas to study because a lot of the people here are from other countries. And also, the European kids will go back to Europe to do their studies. Only the Indian kids will try to get into Indian universities. But now even the Indian kids are wanting to go and study in the uh, European universities because there are some universities, in, especially places like Holland and Germany, that are uh, facilitating how making it easier for them to come and study with very low tuition fees and offering courses in English that are in, that are interesting to them and so on. So that also is kind of happening.
0: Yeah. But what about photography studies in India? I know there's a, a specialized photography school in Uti, and there's one in Goa. But uh, that is, Yeah. I'm not. I don't know if, if other uh, places that teach photography as a as a vocation, either commercially or in any other way.
1: There's quite a lot now. Any of these cities that offer visual communication will have photography as a stream. Uh, And also, there are a lot of private institutions that are also teaching photography. I mean, obviously, they will charge a premium for that. But but the opportunities are there now. There's also a NIFT, I think, NIFT, National Institute of Film and Television, also teach photography. I know somebody who studied photography from there and graduated, who's a photographer working in Oregon. So the opportunity is now to study for Bhagavad Gita far more than when I was growing up.
0: But what about film? I mean, in today's instant world, like we were discussing before, you raised an interesting point where film is almost like a antithesis of what they face, like instant glory, instant gratification, and so yeah. on. Whereas in film... You have a limitation in the number of frames you can shoot. Plus, you don't know how it will turn out. There are so many variations to that. Uh, um, how 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 are the students reacting to that?
1: Yeah, it's a very interesting situation because I also do workshops for adults. Because I've set up a like a community dark home where I take my students when they're in class, and then the rest of the time in the dark home, I teach uh, analog photography to, to adults. And uh, some of the, even though I say adults, they're still youngsters. They're in the early twenties and late teens and so on. So when I give them a roll of film, and for my particular workshop, I don't give them a 436 36 uh, shots. So I give them somewhere between 18 and 20 shots. And I give them a whole morning to shoot and come back. And even though these people are familiar with digital and probably only been shooting digital all their lives, when I give them a roll of, of this many shots. Sometimes they come back even without finishing it. They say, I couldn't finish it, which I find very surprising. And they say, no, it still is so precious. We don't want to waste it on just random shots. So there seems to be some insight that it has on them. I mean, I give them a roll of film. As I was saying, they seem to be going to uh, some sort of digital fatigue where they shoot thousands and thousands of images on their phones and on their SD cards and so on and don't even have the time to go through and sort them out properly. And when they shoot a thousand, they might like only one or two. In those sorts of instances, when they have only a limited number of shots, it makes them really think carefully about their shots. And the fact that they can't see it immediately also, I think, plays a part in them wanting to concentrate on taking a good shot. And and it seems to be working, and I'm very happy with that. And that seems to be also the attraction for these students to want to at least dabble in analog photography. Not necessarily take it up on a full time, but at least learn what it's about and what the qualities it can produce. And some of them do want to take it further. Like I said, some students they have seen shots of expired film photography, which has a crazy effect, and then they want to show the expired film and things like that. I had a few years ago. I had two students who finished their whole uh, exam in analog, in black and white photography. They did the O level and their A level in using film. So, and no students still don't dabble in film. They, I mean, they have their mobile phones, of course, which which is dominant, I should say, in you know, all the photos that they take. But but they also have analog cameras and special projects they do using their analog analog cameras. So. So it's a, there's space for both worlds, I think. So this world has space for both of that, both of those mediums. And of course, when they shoot, some of them don't want to print in the dark room. So we scan it, then of course they can use it to do whatever they want. After it's scanned, whether they want to load it to social media or enlarge it and, and so on. So both of that is possible. I think a couple
0: of interesting points here, because I always w- believe that you need to shoot with intent. Even when you have a digital camera in my hand, I know I, when I go out and shoot, I have a vision in my head and I try to basically figure it out. So I, I end up coming back with one, one or two shots at the most, which is second leg like keepers. I guess you're sort of forced into that uh, scenario when you have film.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly. This is what uh, Ansel Adams talks about. He calls it pre-visualization. You need to have an idea of what your end photo has to look like. And your work is in trying to get there because your initial shot may not be as good as the image you have in your head. So, and you can do the same with the digital also, except you would probably be using Photoshop while we'll be in the dark room with the enlargers and dodging and burning and all the sort of stuff. So, So the work is the same. It's the end yes,
0: Absolutely. In fact, there's one photographer called Tor Egland. He's yeah. a Norwegian photographer. Yeah. And I interviewed him on this podcast, and, and uh, he's 90 years old. And oh, he wow. was, yeah, and he was uh, in Cuba, in Havana, when Fidel okay. Castro rolled in with his trips. Okay. okay. And he shot his. First speech. Can you imagine? My God. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I asked him, and he's gone on this incredible journeys all over the world. He was a Nat National Geographic photographer, Aramco photographer, traveled yeah. the badlands of Saudi Arabia at that time. Yes. carriages, he And he's even yeah. met Marsh Arabs of Iraq. Now they're, they're in fact so, yeah. I think Saddam Hussein drained those marshes and if you recall and destroyed a whole way of life when he actually actually captured them on film and he then actually graduated into digital as well after that and and he said I what is the main sort of difference Hmm. between this and and the digital and analog and he says I spent a lot more time shooting when I was shooting analog but I find I sit before the computer a long lot more time Yes. when I'm doing digital because I'm shooting more and I don't know which yeah. one is yeah Design. exactly 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 <laughs> so Point. I think yeah. yeah I think your quality uh, is more important than shooting like a, a madman with a that's machine it. gun I've been seeing your your feed on Instagram and I see a lot of patterns yeah. like textures right. that's what pops up to me uh, from right. what I see I, I'm not sure. Is is that what you like to shoot? What um, is your main? What are the kind of images you try to capture?
1: I'm not necessarily aiming for textures. It's just that my subject that I've been doing in the last few years is trees. I've been trying to photograph a lot of trees around Auroville. We have some amazing greenery around here because Auroville, when it started, was just a flat land. There was nothing here, no trees. And there was only one banyan tree and so on. So the people who came. To start orally planted a lot of trees, and then over the 40-50 years, they have all literally like a real small forest here. And some of these trees may not be native, but they're still beautiful in themselves. We have this African variety called Kaya, and it's amazing bark and so on. So I've been kind of bitten by that, that beauty. So I've been trying to photograph a lot of the trees here. Now I'm still doing another series. I, I did one lot, and I did had an exhibition, and then I'm working on another one now. So, obviously, with the trees, with the bark and the leaves and the branches and everything, there is a lot of texture. So, it's not necessarily the texture that I'm aiming for, but it's the whole right. package. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, Right. And the other I'm, uh, I'm, uh, for, uh, a photograph that I really... Yeah, go ahead. What were you saying?
1: But I'm curious about the pattern idea. So, I'm going to go back and look at my and see how... Yeah, yeah. Pattern.
0: I'm actually Planets scrolling through plan. your feed right now it's okay because uh, i i guess from my point of view if you l- look at your feed a lot of trees branches and that essentially to me say, says pattern right okay. because nature is full okay. of patterns yes. right your leaves branches your textures your bark they're all patterns of some sort And that's what I see. And, and essentially, when you tend then to pull out the color, it's just tone, right? It's just a gray tone and shapes jump out because they're just tones. And yeah, and black and white is becomes uh, uh, a cacophony of shapes, (laughs) lines and stuff like that, right? That's Mm -hmm. one photographer I think you will definitely like. He's a mobile phone photographer. He's from LA. He's he. I also interviewed him during COVID, actually, and his feed is called dazed and confused. I have sent you okay. the link. And he's a professional drummer musician, and he shoots oh. LA on oh. his phone, yeah. and he somehow works on it, and they're just monochrome and mm-hmm. just shadow and light, like silhouettes. There are people there, but you cannot see yeah. their faces.
1: I think I've heard of uh, him. Somebody in, also mentioned him to me.
0: Yeah. Right? Okay. I've actually interviewed him on this podcast. So you, oh, wow. you should nice. listen to him. Yeah. So I've interviewed a lot of film photographers, in fact. And like there's one... Yeah. Uh, yeah, because there's a very strong... I feel like heading like on hallowed ground. There's a lot of film artists on this channel. You nice. should go check out. I'll send you some links of other Amazing. film photographers I've interviewed. And there are guys... Who there was one guy called Tim D. Film. His portraits right. are amazing. He does street photography with the eight by eight. Oh my god!
1: Okay, <laughs> okay, can you? Yeah,
0: you like he's just outdoor um, portraits yeah. with yeah. eight by eight and this thing, and he's he, he just amazing, amazing. Sure. Those so it's, a, it's a wide variety of film uh, photographers. One guy interviewed was a solar can photographer. Okay, have you heard of solar can photography? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so he, he does that. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It's like and, in- and it's uh, it's almost yeah, but the thing is, you take a like a Pepsi can, you put yes. a, you take off the top, you put film and and a, or a hole, yeah. and you tie it on a tree and leave it for three months.
1: Yes, it's, yeah. Pinhole, pinhole photography. Yeah.
0: Nice. Yeah, oh. but the thing there is that you are actually co-creating an image along with nature. Yeah, because exactly. Six months, you are actually seeing the. All you will see is the li- line of the sun yes. rising and setting, and yes. as the sun, as a, as the day moves, the sun yes. rises or lowers based on which season you are in. Exactly, we have, yeah. the weather interacts with the the emulsion, and that creates its, uh, yes. its own texture. So it's just yes. amazing what you can do with film. It's not three yes. dimensional as people Absolutely. think it is.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I have I I met. A, Douglas, a uh, young lady from Australia, Melbourne, Australia, she was visiting Oregon and uh, she grows mushrooms, but then when she finishes a roll of film, she puts it in the mushroom bed for a week or so, you know, and all the mycelium get into the emulsion. And then when she pulses it, you know, the S6 is just incredible. I'll send you a link also for you to have a look at. So experiments like that, this is endless. You know, there's other people who do, I think they call it film soap or something like that, where they Put The whole roll of film into some liquid and then take it out and then process it. So, yeah, even in the even, even when I was in university, I remember we used to do all sorts of stuff scratch the negative and put acid on it. And it's just yeah, <laughs> endless, yeah.
0: awesome. And yeah. yeah, so what were your inspirations growing up? But did you have like your heroes, like looking up like Ansel Adams, the, as you talked about?
1: Did you have uh, who are your favorites? Well, the, the the first hero of photography wise is probably my dad. Like I said, he, he had a rolyplex and he used to shoot all of us as kids. All of uh, childhood photos are all shot on rolyplex. I mean, in those days, there was only black and white and some color also, but they're all square, six by six rolyplex shots. And he basically introduced me to to photography and and the technicalities of using the shutter speed and the aperture and so on. And more importantly, it was very encouraging. I would shoot roll after roll and he would send it off to the lab and pay for it and get the photos back and so on. And would be just as enthusiastic in looking at them because he was always curious to see what I was doing. So he probably is my first inspiration. And then, of course, once I got into university, there was a whole heap of people that we got introduced to, starting with Hansel Adams and Edward Weston, and Alton Stinglitz and Sally Maughan and and uh, Cindy Sherman and, and Barbara Kruger. And... So yeah, I mean, all of them play some role in how they shape your view, the way you look at things. And and I mean, I could go on and on. There's so many of them. And even today, there's quite a lot of people coming up much, much younger than me that are doing amazing work. And it's really a field where there is no, the inspiration is endless, endless. And just all you have to do is find the right sites because a lot of stuff that's posted on social media is rubbish, but you need to be very discerning and, and look very carefully. And then, of course, when you, when you talk to people like you who have recommendations met and spoken to and, and seen work of other people, that always helps also.
0: Right. We talked about the relevance of film in, in today's world. How do you see it coexisting with the uh, uh, digital uh, space with uh, Mid Journey and ChatGBT coming in? How do you see it coexisting?
1: See, living here in India, accessing film and, and analog photography and stuff is difficult. There's not many companies that sell them anymore. All the companies that used to make them in India itself closed down in the stand portals. And there was another place in Woody that also used to make film and photographic paper. Was Sterling, I think the brand name was called, but they weren't closed down. So for me to get all the stuff to keep, my hobby going or my teaching going, i from Germany. I've imported from Germany or asked people to bring when they come. So that side is difficult. But also what's encouraging at the moment is there seems to be a bit of a revival in the interest in analog photography. And when I say analog photography, I'm, I'm not talking only about film photography. I'm talking about all other processes like cyanotype. Cyanotype seems to be taking off. I literally, every day I see some cyanotype workshop or cyanotype classes being advertised. And then there are other people who are dabbling in in gum bichromate and and other alternative processes. I mean, we call them alternative processes now, but once upon a time they were the only photographic processes that existed. So all that is going on side by side, and and there are people closely want to deal only with that particular type, or there are people dabble in both and so on. Though there. Though I feel encouraged by the revival, I somehow don't feel it's going to last forever. I think there will come a time when probably will completely disappear and digital will be the only process. But then even in digital, there are certain uh, things happening. For example, just yesterday or the day before, in one of the WhatsApp groups where we are all uh, analog photographers, somebody had posted a news item where uh, they're creating a, like a film roll, but from the film roll, when you pull it out, it's like a digital sensor. So you can put the film roll in your analog camera, pull it across and close the camera and you just, you know, inserted a digital sensor into your analog camera and that records. So so this is a bit of a hybridization or something like a hybridization. So that also is happening. So you can use your old film camera to shoot film or stick a digital sensor in there and have a digital photos. So... Well, it's difficult to predict how and where it will go. But for my part, I think one of the main reasons I'm doing a lot of the analog is to try and keep it alive and introduce it to people who are not aware of it, not familiar with it, just so that they can also experience this process. I mean, think about it. Essentially, you have literally, you use light to create an image on this photographic paper or the photographic negative. I mean, it's nothing short of alchemy. We're using all these chemicals. So, so it's an amazing process. I mean, uh, I'm incredibly grateful to the people who invented it and worked on it and perfected it, you know what I mean? So it's an amazing process, yeah. And for, without, there is no photography. I mean, look, we need to acknowledge that. And uh, so the use of these processes allows that. I think that's one of the points I forgot to mention. When they um, take a film camera, they really look at the light because it is the light that's going to converting to an image in their photo you know because it's reflecting off all these objects so between shooting madly with the mobile phone and shooting with an analog camera, then they get to see what kind of light exists in that frame before they take the shot so um so yeah so all that it's difficult to predict where it's gonna go but so far i'm enjoying what i'm doing i love the process it's more the process than the end result and i will keep going as long as i can i guess yeah
0: I think you raised a very interesting point where it's, it's not the camera, but the light. <laughs> so, it's a very good thing. People tend to forget that, right? They focus a lot on the camera and yeah, forget idea. that the thing called light without that. This this camera has no job. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very interesting because even if you, for example, if you take... Uh, Portrait photography or food or whatever, the image is actually formed by the quality of light. And it's all about how you actually sculpt and shape the light to create the image that you want. Yes. And the camera is just there on the tripod. I don't, I'm not going to change the setting or anything. I'm just changing the light and nothing it's, on the camera. So it's very interesting where I'm spending more time in sculpting the light. Yeah, rather than touching anything. <laughs> yeah,
1: <No. laughs> well, That's the title of Andre Tarkovsky's book. He wrote a book about filmmaking, and that's what he calls it. He calls it "sculpt." No, he calls it "sculpting in time." Sorry, he calls it "sculpting in time," which is film, motion picture. But photography is essentially sculpting with light. That's an, uh, yeah, very really astute point. Yeah, you know? like, yeah.
0: yeah. Because uh, uh, the episode that I'm just going to release uh, with my friend Karthik, he was a photographer. Who became a storyteller. Right. So I think all my personal feeling is that all photographers, all image makers are storytellers. We are telling right. stories in single images and putting a narrative together. Exactly. While filmmaker tells it in twenty-four frames.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: But, yeah. say, but essentially the processes are the same.
1: Yeah. That's right. I mean you can yeah, right. the story can be also a series of images. So you could have ten images telling a story. in in still photography and of course in motion picture it's 24 or 25 frames per second and then yeah absolutely i mean when you look at an image even when you even if it's a single image there is something that happened before and there's something that's going to happen after. whatever the image might be when all that plays through your head when you're looking at the image apart from the other side the technicalities and so on how did he take this photo or how did she take this photo what camera did she use what lens did she use Sometimes you get too stuck on that, I think, instead of concentrating more on the story and the light and so on. Yeah. Right. So
0: kind of bookending this conversation, one final question. If somebody wants to take up film photography, I don't know, as a hobby or want to learn, what will you tell them? Like how? what are he or she needs to, to start with? What are the five or ten things that they have to keep in mind?
1: Good question. I mean, this, um, as soon as I heard the question, I was tempted to, to say that hopefully they have a good budget. Things are getting very extensive. What used to be next to nothing, you know, you could pick up for a song. Now, because of this revival in, in analog photography, you know, everybody seems to want to charge a hell of a lot of money. Uh, like, for example, I, one of the things I'm also doing, apart from ditching, is I'm importing film and uh, marketing it, trying to market it. But it's become so expensive that people can't afford it, and and um, so so yeah, it's you need to have a good budget, and you can start simple, something like a Pentax A one thousand or a Pentax automatic, or even a, a Minolta SRT one hundred and one. These are all very basic but really sturdy, long lasting cameras. You know, you could a couple second hand camera for maybe even about hundred dollars and and film. Yeah, and I mean I would recommend them to try doing home processing. I think home processing is more interesting than sending it away. Um, Because, I mean, if you're going to do it, you might as well do the whole package, I feel, you know, rather than do just one bit and outsource the other bit to somebody else. Um, And you're lucky if you're able to find the things. But then in today's world, there's all these other chemicals like caphamol. I don't know if you've heard of caphamol, where they use coffee to develop their film. It's uh, interesting. Yeah. It's a combination of, of instant coffee. It has to be instant coffee. It can't be ground beans. So it's instant coffee, vitamin C and baking soda. Wow. You use it, you use it in a certain ratio. And there's actually a book out there called the Cathanol Cookbook. So you, you mix it in a certain ratio and then you develop it like you normally do. So you can use that to develop your third. It's cheap. Do it at home. It's ecological. You can just pour it out down the sink. You don't have to have a special way of getting rid of the chemicals. And you have a process to go. Well, of course, you'd have to uh, fix it. There you would have to use a regular fixer. But at least for the processing part, you can just use kefmo. There's also beer and all. You can use beer. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> now you're talking. One for processing <laughs> and one for, you know, I think. So, so that's also possible. So there's so many chemicals that they can use from your home kitchen. And, uh, and if they have a digital camera or even their mobile phone, they can scan it and and convert it from negative to positive. And they use it in social media because most of the photos end up on social media anyway. At least for a start, they could, they could kind of follow some of these simple steps to get into to analog. Talk. Yeah, And there's endless amount of material online. Endless. There's so many people who have YouTube channels Show how to process, how to scan, how to preserve your negatives, and things like that. So uh, it's very easy to, do, very easy. To do. And I would recommend people to try it out at least for a little while, just to learn the process and and get to know how light really affects photography.
0: And do you teach the these processes online or is it only in person?
1: Only in person. I haven't tried to teach it online yet. I mean, like I said, there's already many people having channels that teach it. So I, I don't want to be another voice in that cacophony, so to speak. And some of, them are, some of them are doing a great job. So I grab. Don't need that. Where, where
0: can people come and see your work? Is it only on Instagram or do you have a, a portfolio online somewhere?
1: No, I haven't. I, I've been meaning to get some sort of a website going with my photos, but I haven't had the um, time yet. So um, but mainly at the moment, it's only on Instagram
0: okay alright I'll, I'll put the please, um, please. No, uh, in the show notes um, so grateful for you to spare the time for this conversation Sasi. Uh, but stay in touch so let's keep going yes, yes. so that's a wrap for episode number 46 with uh, Sassi Khan Sumo I hope you guys liked it and I enjoyed putting this together for you but you must have noticed that there are a lot more video chats coming up and I'm pretty excited about Sharing the videos of my podcast chats and henceforth, all my episodes will be available both in video and audio format. I hope you like this episode. Please like, share, and follow this podcast. Do sign up for my Substack channel, which is photocountry.substack.com. Thanks for hanging out till the end of this conversation. So I'm deeply appreciative of uh, that. Each one of you who has done that. I hope you can stick around for the next episode, which will really, you know, I'll drop it in a week. So catch you there. Bye-bye.